rapid onset gender dysphoria. What does it mean, and is it real? Do we have evidence of it? Well, we're going to try to answer those questions today as we stray further every day. What you believe about God dictates how you will think. Our philosophies dictate how our culture behaves. Politics is simply the enforcement of cultural norms. The truth claims about God, philosophy, culture, and policies will affect what we value. When these things are in alignment, revival is possible. Well, hello there, and uh, welcome to Further Every Day, the podcast where we explore current events through the lens of the Christian worldview. If you're watching on video, you will actually see that uh, I'm producing today. Mrs. Producer is not feeling too good. So bear with me as we run and sitting today in the chair of theology, we got Miss Nikki. How are you this morning? Good morning. I'm very good. How are you? Doing all right. Glad to have you. I'm glad to be here. And sitting in the chair of philosophy is Mr. Charlie. Good morning. Morning, morning. Dealing with the rigor that one must bring to the faith. And to his left, we have Jennifer. Hello. How's it going? Good. Glad to have you in the chair of culture. I think this is a new one for you, or you've done it once before. Yeah, maybe a long time ago. Okay. But still, nevertheless. And to her left, we've got... Uh, Mr. Steve, how goes it, sir? Hey, man, it goes real good today, John Arthur. Thank you. I'm feeling quite uh, American today. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> All right. So if you have been following the news, you know that in the last five years, you know that we've had an issue with rapid onset gender dysmorphia. Or at least there are some folks who say that it really is a problem. Others and in, in activists have said that it is not. There's a problem if rapid onset gender dysphoria is real. And before, before we get to that, I think it's really important to go ahead and give a general definition of what rapid onset gender dysphoria is. Uh, could you go ahead and pull one up for me, Jennifer? Sure. Go ahead and pull one up. But while we're talking about it, we're going to try today to primarily use non-Christian resources, non-right-wing resources, because it's really important when you're looking at an issue like this to, to take it from the perspective of what are they saying, what's going on. There's enough data there to, to, to definitely tie the noose with this, that this is a bad idea, its long-term consequences are horrible the whole transgender LGBT agenda. However, uh, let's hear a little bit of it from their own ears. Jen, uh, Jennifer, first, though, give us a definition. Yeah, so this is from uh, psychologytoday.com, and uh, they say, okay, rapid-onset gender dysphoria is a new term. Let's unpack it. <clears throat> Sorry about my voice. Gender dysphoria refers to a strong, persistent feeling of identification with another gender and discomfort with one's own assigned gender and sex. Rapid onset is now easy. It is such feelings and discomfort appearing more or less suddenly and apparently out of the blue. So, what does that sound like, though? What does that sound like to you? I mean, it sounds like... There's something else going on besides true gender dysphoria. Because if you have a group of, of people 
who are in a cluster, specifically girls, and, and I mean, you, you, you know this, you are the demographic for rapid onset gender dysphoria, at least you were, you know, last decade or so. Sure. You have a group of girls who get together and they start talking about this online. And that's what Lisa Littman was, was chasing down. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, the answer seems to be transgenderism. Before we go any further, I think we want to go ahead and actually listen to Elena Kirshner's story. And let's, let's hear it from her words. This is someone who, well, I'll let her speak for herself, and then we'll break it down. We'll break it down. Let's go ahead and listen. So I think it's a shame that rapid onset, gen like this idea of rapid onset gender dysphoria is so controversial because the first time I looked at this study, this was after I'd already detransitioned, um, meaning that I stopped my trans identity. Um, I actually thought that it really resembled everything that the study found, like the high rates of uh, depression, anxiety, self-harm. I found that that really reflected my experience and the experience of so many young people that I'd known both in high school and in college. Um, so I, I think it's very accurate. And when I look back on myself as a child, um, I wasn't really a tomboy. I didn't have any gender dysphoria as a child. Um, I looked forward to wearing dresses. I liked getting little makeup kits for Christmas and stuff. So there was no real indication that I would ever grow up to identify as trans or want to become a boy. Um, and it all happened very, very rapidly around the time I was 15. And when I look back on that, I see the roots in me joining online communities, particularly Tumblr, um, and kind of distancing myself from friends in real life and peers in real life, and just kind of getting really embroiled in this community online where everything was about social justice, everything was about gender all the time. And there was these hierarchical ways of looking at people. Like it was bad to be a cis, not trans, straight white girl. And that's what I was, I was a straight white girl. And I felt that that was very bad at the time being in these communities. So eventually that combined with my mental health issues, I had a lot of body image issues. Um, I was very socially self-conscious. Um, that all kind of combined together and resulted in me originally identifying as non-binary, but over the course of a few years, it kind of just snowballed into full-on trans. Takeaways. I want to start with the chair of theology, and I, I want to start with where should the church be on this? Should we not be ready with the answers? Do we have the answers to this? No, most of the church. I mean, it's, this is a very difficult topic, and... Um... Because we've lived in a boy-girl society, and it's just been, you know, absolutely, you're a, a woman or you're a man, and so on. This is very new, especially to an older generation, and very difficult to deal with. They don't know how to deal with it. So, is the church ready? No, the church is not ready for this. And But the church does have answers. There are answers, and there are ways to help people going through these type of circumstances. So that brings us to an interesting question. Do we have the intellectual rigor necessary as a church? And how do we develop that if we don't? Going over to the chair of philosophy I, here. I don't think we do. And part of the problem is, is that 
it's something that is fairly outside the bounds of what has been traditionally taught. So what I mean by that is, you know, when you're when you're in a church, you're raised with all those uh, straight-on biblical stories, thou shalts and thou shalt nots, and in the stories of Moses and, and things like that. And the thing is, when you get into the sexual aspect or sociological aspect of a lot of th- different things in our culture, we we have to study our Bible a little harder and a, and a little more. And I don't think we've we we've not prepared ourselves. And part of it is because of the uncomfortableness of it. And and number two, I'm going to attribute a little bit of it to being lazy. We don't want to work at it. And that's where the church is failing. It's not just failing on this issue, but there's a number of other issues that it's failing. So no, we're not ready. How do we get there? Well, number one, we we get in our Bibles and we do what my history teacher used to say, it's time to root. It's, it's time to dig and learn and figure it out. And I think that's where our church leaders, I'm talking pastors, associate pastors, Youth pastors especially need to be on top of this, and they're not. Well, more than ever, we need to be focusing in on, drilling down into the... We need to be preparing our kids with a philosophical rubric to interpret the things that happen in life. Yes. If we do not have a basic understanding, and when I say rubric, it's a fancy word for saying it's a it's a flow chart of information. You say, if this is true and this is true, then this must be true. We have to set them up with a good understanding to be able to think critically. Well because because And you just nailed it right there. The inability to to think critically. And that's another problem that's happening in our churches is that we're sitting there as consumers. Yes. We're taking in, we're not doing any study for ourselves to be ready to be able to confront somebody that is stating something wrong. And one thing that's done my heart good, especially with the issues that have come up culturally over the last 10 to 20 years, is a lot more people are digging they're, they're not going to accept what has been told them. They are, they are challenging it, and, and that is good on both sides. I don't care which side you are, on both sides, and that's important. We need to think critically. Well, more than ever, we need to be prepared for what the culture brings because when we don't have that rubric, what happens to our culture? What, what ultimately decays? Well, we see what's decaying all around us, which is everything. I mean, we're focusing in on the transgender aspect of it, but I don't think there's anybody that would claim that's the only thing wrong culturally in our society right now. And um, when we're saying that we need to prepare our kids, well, how do we prepare our kids if the parents aren't prepared? I mean, who who's going to be doing the preparing? That's good. It has to be the whole culture, and and even not just the parents and the kids, but we were talking about what the what is the church's role in this? The church has a large um, population of older folks. What we what we ultimately want is to get these people into church. Well, what's going to happen if these People who grew up and have no frame of reference for this have a bunch of people who are just coming out of this gender dysphoria stuff. 
they they need to have some frame of reference to how to deal with that. So let me dig just a little bit deeper on your chair here. What should we be doing as Christians when it comes to girls like Helena Kirshner? And I, ho- I hope I'm not botching that, but Helena Kirshner, someone who's come out of this, the, these cliques that have told her, well, you're not happy with your body. You must be trans. Where should the church be when these people fall? And when they're at rock bottom, well, we should be providing them a place where they can come and understand. You know, never compromise and and try to say that that what they've done is is good or okay, but make them understand that things that are in the past can't be changed, and we're not worried about the past. We're worried about where you're going in the future. And we want to help you get there to get to a place where you are now feeling okay. And, you know, we're not going to, we don't want to lie to people and and say that this is going to be an easy journey or an easy transition. There's going to be struggles. You're not going to feel right in your body right away. But the church really needs to be willing to accept people. And, And even, you know, when people are in this sort of mental state, and they fall back and they make a mistake or they backslide or they do all of this, we need to know the, be- the, the right way to tell someone, hey, you shouldn't have done that, but come back and I'll help you. It's not a, it's not a one and done kind of thing. That, that's a, that is the wrong way to approach it. Can I add something to this? Oh, absolutely. So I've always told my kids, your church is not your safe space. If your church is your safe space, you're not evangelizing. Your church should be a hospital, and a hospital has sick people in different levels. Some are very, very sick. Some are healthy and almost ready to to be released. Some are doctors and nurses, and those doctors and nurses are helping you through the journey. A church should be equipped with doctors and nurses who are helping the sick through their journey to recovery. That's where we are. But I grew up in a generation, church was my safe space. Yeah. And a safe space is not an open door for anybody else that doesn't believe the way that you believe. So I'm not going to pretend that this is something that's easy. It, th- this is this is what we're called to do, though. We have brothers and sisters in Africa and in the East, in the Middle East, who are dying for their faith. Mm-hmm. Can we not be a little discomforted to spend time in disciple? Uh, with someone who is who is suffering from body dysmorphia. And so now that we've covered sort of the where we are as individuals, we are talking so there's an important line between policy and political uh, uh, political policy rather, and how we go about treating the individual. Let's move over to the chair of politics for just a moment. I do want to, hit you here, Mr. Steve, what should we be about when it comes to policy on this? Well, as far as policy goes, um, you know, people are looking for whether it's equality or they want to be the same as what they do. You know, I mean, policy can be, it's not so much as, you know, making laws to say make everything like I want to have it to where 
you know, you can't do this or you can't do that. But the thing is, is that with young children, you know, you're, you kind of—it's not to. really the best thing to do. The, uh, science proves, and and you know we'll see. It like you 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 and I talked yesterday when we were in here working on um, the room itself uh, that uh, about young children, and uh, one of the the doctors that talked about how the the problem that it creates with young children and that you know man boy you know that's a touchy subject with policy uh, because with young children you have a problem with the effects of long-term damage right and a lack of ability to provide informed consent And, and and that's the and that's the real issue here that is the real issue, is that you have kids who cannot provide con- informed consent. And what the government's job is, is to protect the innocent. We can, and 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 we'll talk a little bit about, about a couple of the stories. We, we glanced this last week, but I do want to go over it again. Some of these stories of what these people have endured is horrific, and there is no going back. At least with women who do not get the, the chest surgery, there is a going back potentially, potentially if they if they don't have permanent damage to their eggs, if they don't have permanent damage to their endocrine system, they they if they don't have those, at least there's a chance that they come back. But policy wise, well, you know, we uh, want to be protecting uh, the people who people can't. People want to make consent. sure that the parents have complete control over their children, and not to have it to where others are making the decisions for their children. And science proves that with reproductive, uh, the reproduction part of a of a young child, when you start uh, adding different hormones to the body, it really affects that person. I mean, you and I both have heard different things from scientists where it shows that as that person gets older. The effects of them being able to have children just because of you're adding hormones to a person that is in complete different to that person's sex, whether you're adding testosterone to someone who produces estrogen and adding estrogen to someone who produces testosterone constantly, you're going to have a problem there. So we do have a nurse in here. I want to throw this at you. What happens when you give testosterone to a female in in an over overdosed level? I mean, I I'm not an expert on you know all things medical, but I I actually know more so about um, uh, the osteoporosis involved. Uh, that's sort of sort of the the one thing that really sticks out to me. I don't know. A, everything about it but i mean we've got like 15 16 year old girls who have the bones of like an 80 year old Mm. and it's just it's incredible how how did they consent to that were they told that they were going to have osteoporosis i was not in the room but my sneaking suspicion was no but no 
And so let let's let's come back. Nor the parents, by the way. I, I I'm assuming that the parents are really put in a tough spot by these doctors. I mean, they have a child. I can't imagine having your child tell you something like they're so disconcerted with their own body that they're think, even thinking about these kind of things. And then you have a doctor or a nurse who's supposed to be there to help you. And they're giving you this information that this is going to help your child. And, and then all of this happens. I can't imagine being a parent. So Littman and links in the description below to the, to the, the Littman article. And we're also going to put some other studies in there that are supposedly debunking Littman's article. But the problem is with the other studies that they use, the, the, there's one from the, uh, PLOS. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll have that, that the pediatric study. The problem is with these studies is that they are a subjective study by definition. When you have someone who says, I have all at 14, 16 years old, they say, Oh my gosh, if I can just become a different person, if I can just change who I am, I will feel better. What do you think they're going to say when you say, has this always affected you? They're going to say yes. And that's what the pediatric study debunking Lisa Littman's rapid onset gender dysmorphia study. Uh, you have something you want to say. Go yeah, for it. Yeah, I mean, just two real quick things. One, the one of the main critiques for the study is that it was done sort of like interview style talking to parents. And then all of the studies that they're touting to disprove it are all done like survey style. So it's, you know, rules for thee but not for me kind of thing. And two, there's nothing to disbunk. She never claims that this is a conclusive study. This is a... Pro she... In her, almost her own words, this is a preliminary study that indicates that this is an area that needs to be investigated. How do you debunk that? That's not that's not a claim. And so there, link in the description. There's an interview with Megan Kelly. You can hear her talk about it. She is absolutely full bore LGBT pro. I mean, she's for the agenda. But what she said was, is we have a lot of detransitioners. We have a lot of detransitioners. People who have come back and said, Ugh, I cut off, I had a double mastectomy. They cut out all the tissue in the breasts. Or you have dudes who come back, you've cut it off down there, and now things aren't functioning right. In Tulip R's case, we're talking about someone who cannot go to the bathroom without leaking for the next hour. We're talking about someone now that he's back on testosterone, trying to fix the osteoporosis, all, all the other things that happen, all those types of issues. I'm not sure if that happens with uh, male to female, but all of those sorts of issues, there's a, there's a cancer issue. There's a whole list of endocrine based issues that a man suffers and this guy, it's cut off. So when you start to grow hair down there, it's constantly painful. Uh, I'm, yes, this is graphic in nature. By the way, I mean, if you haven't already figured it out, we're talking about LGBT issues. If you have kids in the room, you want to protect them from this. Uh, sorry, they've already been exposed to it probably, but to go ahead and get them out of the room. But we're talking about people who have permanent damage. And so I want to go to the chair of philosophy here. I want to go to the chair of philosophy here. And I want to ask if you have someone who is, if you have a philosophy and, and this is what they're scared of. This is what the transgender movement is scared of. You have a transgender ideology and philosophy that is purely affirmative. If you think 
that you're trans. You are trans. Well, we have a lot of detransitioners who've been injured. So there is a chink in the philosophy, and that's why people swarm to protect it. That's why you have real women, real men who are injured by the LGBT philosophy, and they are savaged by people in the LGBT community because there is a hole in the philosophy and we can see it. Open up that hole because we're looking at an issue of if it's not if it's true for if it's not true for these others that they said that they're a woman therefore they're a woman or they said they're a man therefore they're a man could it be true for all of them that this is a psychological spiritual issue i th i think it could and the, you know the one thing that was going through my mind was if you look at how we treat the issue of uh testing drugs for illnesses and new ones. It goes through a very rigorous process. And when you look at what's going on with the gender dysphoria and with the, with the transitioning and the detransitioning, and I think you've brought up a really good point, there's a lot of people detransitioning. When you take a look at that, I think if I were part of the leadership of the FDA or the CDC, I'd be sitting here and I'd be going, everybody's going to woe up. We're stopping this. Because we obviously do not understand what we're doing or talking about. What's really interesting about this is that we're adding another dynamic to this thing. It is not just physical. Now we're adding a psychological element. And that, to me, when you're combining those two, that becomes even more problematic uh, for parts of the government that, that have what I would call authority to, to deal with some of this. But what you won't hear is you won't hear anything from the FDA. You won't hear anything from the CDC on this. It's perfectly allowed. There's no no issues. And we're seeing a lot of push on this in your, in your schools. And I'm not talking just high school. I'm talking we're seeing a lot of pushing on this all the way from kindergarten on up. And I think we are just, we are butchering our kids and I'm using a very strong word there and I'm I I hate saying that word but John Arthur we're we're mutilating our kids is what we're doing for the sake of a movement and it really needs to it needs to stop so that that really puts us back to the chair of theology we're working our way back up from the bottom and uh you know I might chime in a little bit later from the chair of economics on all of this because there is an incentive but yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. I want to go to the chair of theology for a moment. When you have a problem with who you see yourself to be, one of these girls, and again, link in the description below for this one, this, this is five days after her detransition started. She said something really interesting. She said, I thought it was going to change who I was. She said, I passed as a boy. People thought I was a boy. But my inner voice, my conscience, you know, the little thing that talks to me was still a feminine voice. I, myself, the inside was still a female. When we start to try to change 
who we are. Changing who you are is a good thing, by the way. There are reasons why you don't like yourself, okay? Because there is something there. But what is in there telling us you need to change? And where does that transition need to be? What, what do you become? Well, let me just start with this, is that what we have failed to, uh, I think, teach our young kids is that you are created in the image of God because of the value of who you are. So when you're going to public school, every child faces, do I measure up? Which is wrong because you are valuable of who you are. But in a public school environment, and sometimes even in a home environment, do I measure up? Which creates thoughts in your mind. And what we're talking about are the thoughts that are planted in your mind. You're not good enough. Well, if I were uh, 20 pounds lighter, I would fit in. I would be popular. People would like me. If I was this, I would fit in. I would be I would be valuable. I would mean something. So what we're really addressing here is the mind. And the Bible has a lot to say about the mind. One of the people that I follow is Carolyn Leaf. Leaf and her podcast is Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. And one of the things that she stresses, a thought causes a chemical reaction in your brain. It can be positive or it can be negative. And what we're seeing is we put these kids in public school and they're in there for eight hours a day hearing all different kinds of things. And they're asking themselves, do I measure up? Do I measure up? So this journey that these people are feeling, this dis- not liking my body, all goes back to not understanding the value of who you are before for a loving God. And we need to reprogram the way you're thinking about yourself so that you can come into peace of who you are and see yourself as valuable before the Lord. One could even say, or go as far as, is that the transformation that you want, the transition you want, but you may not understand how to articulate, is who God designed you to be. And you're full. If you really want fulfillment in life, that's where you have to journey to is is to come to the place to understand that I am valuable before a loving God. And he has this wonderful life plan for me, not without issues, not without problems, but a true fulfillment. And that's what people are searching for. And that's why we have all these left turns here and left turns here. I think this will give me fulfillment. This will give me peace. And what it is is just a greater distraction. Well, and that's really the issue, right? Satan always comes. He always comes with a lie saying, what God has given you is not good enough. Here's something yes. better, but it always turns out to be a cheap counterfeit. Again, speaking of cheap counterfeits, I want to go ahead and read a little bit more from Tulip Art. Because again, link in the description below. This is someone who's detransitioned. I believe he's in the UK, male to female. We talked about it last week, at 24 transition male to female and then is trying to transition back and i'm, I'm just going to say it again this warrants reading this is what this is what he says i want to tell everyone what they took from us and what irreversible means what it really means and what reality looks like for us no one told me any of what i'm going to tell you now if you have kids in the room and, you, and they haven't heard this already, probably have, but if they haven't heard this already and you want to get them out, now's the time. I have no sensation down there. I'm, I'm going to edit a little bit of this. You could stab me and I would not know it. 
everything down there is dead. I've been unable to comprehend even what happened. My body's not able to comprehend even four years after everything happened. I tore a suture four days post-op and they promised to address it. I begged them in emails to fix it. They scorned me instead. Years later, I have a chunk of flesh mix, um, missing next to the new fake organ that they created. They didn't create. They destroyed what was working. No one told me that the base of the area cannot be removed, meaning that he always feels he, he was never a woman. He will never be a woman. If you watch the documentary, uh, What is a Woman by Matt Walsh, there's an interview in there and where this woman says, I will never be a man. I tried to transition. I will never functionally be a man. So it goes on, by the way. And and uh, link in the description, read it, check it out. If you, if, if you want to understand what it is, by the way, you should look, you know, I'll, I'll put a link in the description. You should watch a 3D rendering of what transition surgery does to males and what it does to females. You should look at it before you say it's healthy. People who cut themselves, people who act recklessly and have a death wish, we say that these people need help. People who have a 40% rate of suicidality, link in stats in the description, people who have a 25% uh, uh, schizophrenia uh, uh, representation in the population. We would normally say that this is not a lifestyle that should be pushed. This is not a lifestyle that should be pushed, but I want to push this around the room. Theologically, what happens when we, if as a culture, if we are able to take male and female and disassociate them, this whole word game with sex versus gender that, that, that we kind of play, if we're able to do that effectively, who have we replaced and how have we gone about replacing him? God. I mean, God is our creator. To what end? <sighs> to the ultimate end. I mean, Psalms 139, I know you're... I've said it a hundred times, but that is the details of who you are. They're so valuable. You are so valuable before the Lord that your details are written down in books. They're written down. They're kept. You are, you are so valuable and God has a purpose and a journey for you. And when anything that comes against what you are created for is a lie to destroy you. So, what do they want to do, though, by redefining themselves as God? They want to replace God, don't they? I think so. I, I, I think that's really what the ultimate end is, because I, I think within each of us, we, we don't want to be accountable to anybody else, including God. I, I am me. I am, I am my own person. Do not tell me what I can or cannot do. And that's... That's not just me sitting here. That's every individual that walks. And the problem is, is that we do not have a strong enough comprehension of life in general. So every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Yes. And that's where we go. And we find out when we get a little, just a few steps off, we go, oh, nuts, that wasn't right. 
Well, and I think that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to replace God. We're trying to say, I know better. You didn't, you didn't make me. I am me. And that's, that's a catastrophic end. And we're seeing it because you said it a moment ago. What Satan's really doing in this whole thing is he is robbing people of their future. And it's no wonder why the suicide rate is so much higher after this. And it doesn't show up right away. And that's what you'll hear in some of these, these videos that you watch. You won't see it right away. It's 10 years down the road. And the hopelessness that is, is in place of it is just unreal. So I, I actually want to go ahead and delve into that hopelessness for just a second, in just a moment, but I want to set it up. God said, go forth, be fruitful, and multiply. Have you ever heard about the, the, the rat study of population? There's an, interesting, there's an interesting study where you put X amount of mammals in a cage and you give them abundance, there will come a point where they will stop procreating. There will come a point. And what do we see in homosexual behavior in mammals? It does happen. And I'm not saying that humans are just animals, but we do share some of the same drive and some of the same instincts. They're similar, at least. When you have cultures, and I'm going to say this, I think Satan has always tried to stop human society by luring us into hedonism. I think totally that's one agree. of his main goals. And if he can't do it by hedonism, he does it by nihilism. Yeah. And that's what you're going to, the hopelessness there. If there is no hope, and there is nothing greater beyond, why would I raise offspring? Yep. Just go to, go to the importance. Why would the Christian philosophically think that there is a good reason to raise offspring? You're fulfilling one of the commandments of God. And Go you further. Gave it a moment ago, be fruitful and multiply. And, you know, one of the things that I have felt in my life over the last, gosh, this is probably going five years now. Charlie, you need to impact people for my kingdom's sake. Impact, impact, impact. Make a difference. You know, create a... Um, um, a framework for people to make a change in their life that is good and ultimately for the kingdom of God. That's, that's why the Christian should be concerned about the theological aspect and the philosophical aspect of this issue. So when we go to a culture of nihilism, what happens to the culture? What effectively occurs long-term? We lose all sense of morality. I mean, nihilism is is a denial of of a foundation. Essentially, it's it's a denial that that you can have an objective moral standard. So, what happens other than we lose an objective moral standard, or we lose sight of it? It's not that it disappears. There's always an objective moral standard. We just choose to ignore it. Which societies embrace nihilism? Could you say Rome? Yeah. Greece. Rome. Greece. Germany. Israel. Israel? Israel, yeah. What happened to each one of them? They were judged in various ways. Um, sometimes the judgment is the nihilism itself, and it just society just collapses. So I want to move to the chair of politics. 
unless you have something else. Yeah, I did just want to say on the issue of the hopelessness in the culture, for the, for, for the people who have been duped by this kind of stuff, and this goes beyond just the transgender thing, whether it's you've been duped into transitioning, you've been duped into having an abortion, whatever it is, all of these monumental things that the culture has been pushing you to tell you that it's okay to do, when you eventually come to the understanding that that wasn't okay to do, that's a tough spot to be in. And I just want to put it out there. Don't let Satan lie to you and tell you that that's going to define you for the rest of your life. There is forgiveness in God and forgiveness in Christ. And when you turn to him, it is wiped away. You are washed in the blood of Christ. And, and there's going to be a lot of people, both Christians and non-Christians, who are going to try to hold that against you for the rest of your life on this earth. But let God be true and every man a liar, and he will forgive you, and you will find somewhere in this world a, a group of hopefully Christians who will help you through that process. Don't give up on that, please. Sean Arthur, if I could just tag onto that very quickly. Local New Testament church. Quit looking down your nose at somebody that is going through this issue. Amen. This this is nonsense. People struggle. And, you know, who are we to look down our nose at somebody just because we don't struggle with it? That's not right. And I, I totally concur with, with what Jennifer just said. And I think it's important that if we have somebody walk into our church that has just gone through this issue and is struggling with it, the best thing that you could do is put your arm around them, give them a hug and say, God loves you. Let's walk through it together. Amen. Amen. And amen. And so I want to move over. That's, that is the issue here. Before I move over to the chair politics, that is the issue. If you are going through these things, we are not your enemy. We are telling you and look, by the end of this, I, my hope and prayer is that when we present ourselves and we present our case, you walk away with one of two assumptions. And by the way, church, this should always be our objective. We should be desiring they walk away with one of two assumptions. Either one, <laughs> those people are dumb, but at least they're nice. You know, they're wrong, but at least they care about me. They might be fruity, but they care. Or two. Oh my, there is something there. There is logic, there is understanding, there's wisdom, and most importantly, there is love adorning the top of it all. That's what we should be doing. That's what we should be doing. That's what we should be looking at. But I want to move over to the chair of politics. uh, And to do this, I do want to go ahead and frame it in this way, this question to you. When you're looking at how this has become a political issue, whenever medicine becomes a political issue, it becomes a political football. And what are we, what are we watching happening to those who are most vulnerable? They're being left to the side, and they are actually being victimized by our system, and it's being institutionalized politically. What do they have to gain politically? What do politicians have to gain politically by joining this bandwagon? And what should we be doing as Christians? And that politicians are kicking that football around uh, is a thing. 
<clears throat> and as you know, the politicians have a tendency to kick that football over to those that are giving them money, that want issues to go towards the way that those that speak up and have basically more or less the squeaky wheel issue. And it usually turns that way with politicians. You know, those who have a tendency to they think it'll give get more the votes. large amounts of money. They think it'll know. get more votes and more campaign money. Exactly. And that's what they look for. It's about getting reelected. Who's going to put the most money in their campaign fund so that whether they get reelected or not, you know, there's that extra money that goes into their bank account. And so and that's a really good segue to the chair of economics. And I just want to tidy tidy it up here. Exactly. There is an economic incentive. And he's right about the lobbyists. But what are the lobbyists making money for? Or whom are they, are they making money for? It's for the medical industrial complex. Look, doctors and nurses, love them all. We have a nurse here. And I'm sure all of us would agree that there is a wonderful, wonderful contingent of doctors and nurses. We're not, we're not saying the nurses are and the doctors are all evil or some stupid nonsense. Two things can be true at once. There can be some wonderful people in the medical profession. And like every other profession, it can also be true that there are grifters, people who take advantage. That's what we're talking about here. Just before someone says something stupid in the comments, there are doctors and nurses who do not want to consider the damage that's being done to people like uh, Helena, to people like Tulipar, they don't want to consider the consequences, who won't even return the call to finish suturing up the damaged parts that they mutilated. And they didn't even do a good job. They didn't even do a good job. But guess what? They got paid. And, 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 an... and, and now you have a whole infrastructure. I'll get to you in just a second. Yep. Now you have a whole infrastructure that is built on, it is based on the the... The idea, the philosophy of transgenderism, it's based on the philosophy. And as it grows, it becomes institutionalized. So what I want to do is I want to work from the bottom back up to the top in closing on actionable steps. I want to start working on actionable steps and what we can do further. And I'm going to save this from the economic chair. Vote with your wallet if you can. When you're talking about politicians... Give to politicians and to campaigns that you can, you know, absolutely trust to go against this. But also, watch whom you are buying from. It's almost impossible now to buy from someone who's not pro-LGBT because that whole camp has 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 done what it's done. But they, they, they've absolutely held the commercial world hostage. However, when you can, when you can, boycott. When you can, boycott bolster businesses that are in ministries use your time use your time this is part of my closing thoughts and arguments use your time you know there's a there's a great book it was written by a former lesbian she says christianity comes with a house key she was coming at she she dropped her lover whatever it had a bad fallout she needed a place to go whose home did she end up in group of christians family of christians and they led her to the Lord. They only could have led her to the Lord, though, if they had been willing to help her, not enable her, help her. There is a difference and a distinction there. But they were helping her. They loved her. 
not in an apathetic way, enabling way, but in a godly way. I want to move up to the chair of politics, dealing with how do we start to turn the tide. Politics is downstream of the other of the other three primary aspects here, but how can we start to fight this? Well, and as far what we got to do in order to fight this is we got to get out and vote, man. We got to put our our words to our feet, to our hands, and get out and get to the voting booth. And it's like I was watching an interesting moment on TV, and this I think it was uh, CBS, NBC, or one of them, um, and that would sh- it showed that the percentage of the amount of it was either conservatives or Republicans. The increase in the numbers in the last voting, I think it was just recently, was up 32% on voting. Man, 32%? That is a major increase in the number of people for Republican voters. And this is overall throughout the United States on people going through and voting to get out and vote. That is a major increase as far as the blue goes. So that's And that's what you got to do. You got to get out and vote and get these people out of the office. That's the only way. Well, that's the start, right? That's right. the start. And we want to start to institutionalize it, but also become part of your local election movement, your Correct. local election integrity movement. Dinesh D'Souza in his 2000 mules put out the weakest possible argument that he could have. And I still think it was persuasive. I still think it was persuasive. And it was the weakest possible. He didn't even talk about downstream at Dominion. He just talked about grassroots level ballot harvesting that's been going on for decades. It's been going on for decades. And he finally, with Catherine Engelbrecht, put together some of the dots saying, look, this is what we can see. And we are uh, we are lowballing it. We are lowballing it on the amount of fraud that's occurring. You, you wanted to add something. Yeah, and this thing right here, call your senators, call your congressmen, man. It makes Get a on difference. the phone and give them your opinion. Tell them what you think. These people listen. It makes a difference. By the way, if you're going to do this, do not call or write your senator, especially don't write with the exact same form. Write something different. Because you know what happens right. when, when 30 people sign the exact same document? They throw 29 of them out and they take one. Right. You write a different story, a different document. Put some time into it. My gosh. Jeff, if you're going to do it, put some time into it. Very good. Very good. Moving over to the chair of culture. What can we do culturally? Well, if we are wanting to create this culture, then I said last week that we, we can't hold the fallen world to the to a higher standard than we hold ourselves. And I think that that applies culturally too. We need to develop the culture within the church first, and then that can influence and give people an, an actual tangible example of what we want the culture to look like outside of the church. And part of that is being willing to hold each other accountable. You know, when uh, we're talking about the transgender issue specifically, so I'll frame it that way. But if you're in a situation or you're in a church and you are lucky enough to have somebody come in who's suffering with that and you see them 
being maybe not even just mistreated, but just not getting the help that they need. Speak up and say something. Speak speak to your other uh, you know, church members, to your fellow Christians, and provide them education and love also and develop the culture within your own local church first. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm everywhere at the cameras today. I'm sorry if you're watching on video. Uh, <laughs> I, I am I am trying to host and run my apologies. But we going miss over, you, Mrs. Producer. We miss you, Mrs. Producer. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to do both. It's hard to do both. But I want to get <laughs> Mr. Charlie from the chair of culture. From the chair of culture. Philosophy. Philosophy. Thank you. But I knew from the chair of philosophy. Thank you. Thank you. No, no, no. That's correct. Keep me honest here. Keep me honest here. My head's spinning. I'm reading to, notes uh, and I'm and I'm producing. So what do we need to do in setting up our young and preparing them to go into this world? And then what do we need to do as a church in regards to our philosophy in treating this social contagion? Okay, so if I could, I'd like to I'd like to address three different groups here. Number one, parents. Moms and dads, you you may feel the, the need to help your child go ahead and transition. Let me say this first. Do your homework first. Amen. And do it thoroughly. Don't just do it surface-like. I'd be looking at three different sources. I'd be looking online for information from medical communities, things like that, that show some statistics about what are the repercussions after you do this. And don't read just the stuff that supports where you think you want to go. You need to read both sides. Because if you do, you won't transition your child. I, I would totally agree with that. There is no... And, and look, I'm taking the most... Could I say the most liberal stance the most agnostic. on this that I could possibly take? If I were the CDC, if I were the FDA, this stuff would stop until we got more information. That I'm being the most liberal that I can of what I truly feel, but that is that is the case there. Okay, so parents, you need to do your homework. You can look at research articles. I would talk to somebody that has transitioned and has transitioned not just for a few months, but a few years. Number three, you need to check out the Bible, and you need to check it thoroughly. Those are the sources that you need to go to to make sure that you understand whether you really want to move forward with this. That's one group. Number two, I want to talk to young people. Listen, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Be very careful that you give in to the pressure of those around you, be they adults or be they other peers, about what you should do with your body. This has very severe ramifications. It's a lifetime decision. It's not a reversible one. Number three, I would be seeking some help from those that you can trust in giving you honest feedback. Third group, very quickly, church. You need to equip your staff to deal with these kind of issues and situations. You may not have people on your staff that are licensed psychologists. I get that. But can we not work together as churches to maybe come up with a solution like that so that we can point people to somebody that would be able to help? Amen. That's that's where we need to go to. Those are the things that I would do 
from a philosophical standpoint, and that's taking the most liberal stance and approach. So, and again, and I, I do appreciate you doing that to the extent that you have. The one thing I would note is you can always, always find the issue down at this core. Yes. Changing a name doesn't change what a thing is. That's right. You might change the name, but the essence is the same. You are essentially a man or essentially a woman, and that will never change. In the case of, the, you know, again, link in the description, some of these people, they said, they thought I would change. I thought I would change. I thought I would be different, but the voice in my head was a woman's. The thoughts I had were a woman's, and I was presenting as a man. I looked as a man. You know, but I did not, people thought I was a man, but I was not a man. I will always be a woman. Same, same is true of men. Moving over to the chair of theology, moving forward, what do we need to do as a church, building up a rigorous response to what the culture is bringing with body dysmorphia, rapid onset transgenderism, et cetera? Well, I would say that if you identify as a Christian, then you have some homework, to do, and that is that there is an answer scripturally. God does have an answer for this, and you need to be the voice that can sh- share this information with those that are confused and suffering. And you, you're going to have to get out of your comfort zone. You're going to have to look for people who can answer this scripturally and uh, research it, and let it become so. You need to become so knowledgeable that you can share it with others because you're going to be faced with it eventually. So you have work before you, but our job is to impact others for the the, uh, glory of God. And this is what these people have questions, and we have the answers. And if you're a Christian and you don't have the answer, you need to get busy. Go get it. Go get it. So that's our charge to you. Be equipped. Know your Bible. Think through it logically. Be a part of the culture of change. And by the way, we're not saying this because we want to hurt people. We're saying this because we see people getting hurt. Yes. That is the issue. Get out, be involved politically, and make sure that you're spending what's most valuable, your time. Spending your time and energy giving to people who are suffering, discipling people, spending time going into the scriptures. By the way, it's not lost on me that that's not easy. It is so much easier to give money or to donate to something or to say, church does this. No, you, you need to go out and make disciples of the nation. The the Great Commission was not for the pastors. It was for those who call themselves by the name of Christ. If you enjoy this podcast, like, comment, share, subscribe. It's been a loopy day because I'm behind the controls. So I apologize for those of you who are on video. Hopefully, if you're on audio, you haven't noticed too much. But we are on YouTube now. We are on YouTube. Uh, we got some great merch. I'm not going to say that you will uh, look as good as uh, uh, Ezekiel did when he was prophesying in Israel, but um, <laughs> if, when you're wearing it, but uh, you will look almost as good as he did while he uh, allegedly war our merch uh like comment share 
sharing is caring. We have shorts now. We're putting those out. We're trying to ping those out. And these are hopefully short, shareable things that uh, you can give to people and uh, pass around social media. We are excited and ecstatic to have over 60,000 downloads. The YouTube channel is just slowly inching along, but uh, getting a few thousand here, a few thousand there. Uh, your support has been appreciated. If you did not like this podcast, make sure that you leave us an angry comment down below. Uh, and uh, help us out with that algorithm. Also share it to all your friends so that they can also see how hateful and bigoted we Christians are. Uh, with that said, we love you. Thank you. Bye. 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 All right. One last thing. One last thing. Going around the room, what do you think the worst lie is? What do you think the worst lie is that people take in and internalize when you say, I want to transition to another gender? What do you think the worst lie is? Uh, they don't feel valuable in the position they're in. They, they've been told that you're not valuable in who you are. Man, man, going over to the chair of philosophy. You'll feel better when it's all done. Ooh. Because that's the furthest thing from the truth. What we're seeing is that that's not true at all. Indeed. I think that what I talked about earlier, the lie that there's no way back, there is. I would have to say that uh, you can be, that a woman can be a man or a man can be a woman. Mm. Mm. And that it is the way it is. You know, I mean. I would take it as the worst lie is that you were a mistake. God messed up on you or somehow you can't fulfill what you're supposed to be. Guess what? God has a plan for you wherever you are. If you are not feeling any gender dysphoria, if you are detransitioning with a broken body, God has a plan for you. And it may not be easy, but it is beautiful. Seek him and you will find that plan. You won't find Lamborghinis. You won't find G5 jets. I'm sorry. Those guys on TV have it wrong. But you will find joy. You'll find that joy. Seek him and you will find it. Love y'all. Bye. 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 Bye.